You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitate at support meetings for families and individuals who have been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. Hi, Stella. How are you? Good. How's Sasha today? <laughs> Sasha is well. I think she's all right. Um, today we're, we're covering a really, really sensitive topic. So we wanted to discuss the experiences that um, a family might have if a young adult person in their late teens or 20s or even 30s um, decides to transition. And this is very complicated because within one family unit, you might have the adult person perhaps full of hope and excitement about the prospect of like reinventing themselves or perhaps transitioning after having wanted to for some years. And then you have parents or family members who sometimes feel completely blindsided and really disoriented from the announcement of their loved ones. So we hope to be sensitive with this important topic and give it a good thorough discussion. Yeah, it's it's tricky for everybody when you know somebody as one way and then they become another way and they might have been kind of storing this information for a long long time but it's it can be extraordinarily new for the Mm -hmm. loved ones and the friends so they can be blindsided they can feel like they've been hit by a truck a what Mm -hmm. what 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 is this yeah and um the 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 person who is maybe all seeking to medically transition quickly because they've been hanging around for a long time. So they suddenly, they come out and they want to go fast often. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody around them can feel like, wow, this is like a bullet. Yeah. So it's a very disorientating process for everybody, really. Yeah. And I, I'm aware there are also some cases where, you know, of course, we have to keep in mind that when we are contacted, let's say by the parents who do feel blindsided, we're getting one version of the story. And so if we were speaking with that young adult, we might have additional context. But, you know, based on what we're seeing more broadly in the culture, it wouldn't be completely shocking to imagine that some adults have also kind of gotten a very quick, quick, quick reinvention of their identity that maybe they hadn't been storing secretly for, you know, decades of time. So I think there are lots of ways that this can emerge in a family or in a person who is a young adult or an adult. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll try to kind of unearth the various ways that this might show up. And and I know, Stella, you run these support meetings at the Gender Dysphoria Support Network, which are parent meetings. Um, do you have a group for parents of adults? And maybe you can talk a little bit about what you've observed from the parents' side 
in those groups? Um, we do have, uh, we're talking at the moment of dividing it into, and it's kind of tricky, we were thinking of dividing it into parents of children who are 17 and under and parents of children who are 17 and over. Because mm. that 17 age is a very crucial age and some of them want to hear the younger and some, you know, you know so, that's, so we're going to include them both sides, but we haven't actually yet done it. But yeah, the parents of the sudden onset, the adult onset, the sudden onset, are a new cohort, yet again a new cohort in, in a landscape of new cohorts. And uh, they, their numbers are starting to become noticeable. And those parents often feel, I, I would argue, maybe most at sea, most kind of uncertain about, I've just heard the craziest thing that I really didn't see coming. In all the things I could see coming, that, you know, my child is married, maybe has a child, I so did not see this coming. And they're still maybe young, um, but still like so maybe late 20s or something but, mm -hmm. or 30. And the parents come in like going, what is going on? And when they meet another parent of the same kind of genre, they're like, how could there be two of us? And there are. Yeah. There are. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that's going on. And mm -hmm. it's, it's harder to fathom. So I think this will be a contemplative episode for myself and yourself because it's really going to, we're going to be stretching ourselves to understand what's going on for everybody here because this is a new, new scenario. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is a new, new scenario, but I also can't help but think that um, I, I remember reading in the literature and also just anecdotally hearing stories from older people who might call themselves transsexuals today who did come out as adults true you know so so i don't think it's um it's a completely new scenario uh someone like caitlin jenner for example very was, very famous they were very woman. definitely males um and they okay. were very definitely middle-aged there was a real yeah. common thread of middle age there these ones are okay. like 28 okay you know, that's what you. i've noticed and i'm like Whoa, yeah whole, yeah yeah well, maybe let's start there. Let's let's kind of break down some of the demographics that we see. So okay. you, you mentioned like this late 20s young person who's suddenly coming out. What all, what are some characteristics that you've noticed or, or just casually observed of that age range? What I've noticed is that um, there is the parents are floundering and have no understanding and the adult child might have plenty of support with their partner. And the, the, that can be quite kind of fine, really. It's the parents who feel shut out and absolutely kind of not part of it. And, you know, honestly, at that age, part of you thinks, well, that's that's going to happen in life. That You know, adults are going to move on and they're going to kind of have very different lives than any of us expect. And I do think that a lot of the parents feel that there's a very heavy, heavy internet aspect to this and nobody's listening to the parents. And that seems really sad because, you know, in mm -hmm. fairness, you could write the parents off. You could say, what would you know? You could say you don't live with them. And yet you could also say, if they're all saying this and mm -hmm. they're also describing similar people who are kind of very intense, very intensive at the computers, you know, autistic traits, um, you kind of go, okay, this is this is familiar territory. Yeah, that's yeah. how I found it. Yeah, I, I've also heard um, parents share that their adult child had been 
um, kind of engaging with like a group of peers, sometimes even the partner, like for example, in the case of um, natal males who are in their late 20s, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, his girlfriend was really going down a kind of a radical social justice trans ideology path, or his wife was the first one to start questioning her gender identity. So sometimes you're right, I think it can be the social network of the person or, you know, heavy internet use. Um, and I also know that sometimes it seems, at least again, from the parents' report, there's some very disorienting experience. So like I've heard cases of, you know, let's say um, somebody, a young man in his 30s or late 20s has a divorce and, you know, all of a sudden what seemed stable or what seemed perhaps like a stable relationship was dissolved or someone who loses a job or has some kind of really life-altering event that maybe sends them into a bit of a tailspin. Like perhaps it's a bit of a, you know, where do I fit in now? Or what's my meaning and purpose? What's my identity? Um, and again, it's, it's so, it's almost so difficult to speculate because we, by definition, these individuals probably aren't seeking therapy from us. So we're really trying to piece together a very blurry picture based on only one side of the stories. And I appreciate that. But I mean, when you think about the importance of self-definition and identity, it remains somewhat fragile, you know, until later in life. It's, it's not, people reinvent themselves at all different ages. So it's not shocking to imagine that could be the case. Yeah, I think you're right about the kind of the life transitions. So let's say the child going from um, junior school to high school or middle school to high school, high school mm. to college, college, and all those transitions, they are yeah. really vulnerable times. And then when they're out in the real world, let's say, and they're working and they lose a job, again, you've got a vulnerable space. So those, those kind of little vacuums is where we kind of almost rearrange our identity, I'd be inclined to think. And this is where it, it comes in. And that is incredibly alluring. I think for people, I think very similarly, you know, the way I spoke about the middle aged men. And I know a lot of people who are listening will be saying, sure, why aren't they talking about autogynophilia? This is all autogynophilia. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's more. There's a lot more going on in life. You know what I mean? And I would say that a lot of men I spoke to who did transition middle age, again, it was a transition of this is my life. This is the last act. I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to live my life for the last act. Mm -hmm. I haven't lived mm -hmm. it before then. I'm going for mm -hmm. it. And they can feel very selfish and it can be autogynophilic. There's lots of things that can be going on, but that is mm -hmm. one of the many things that's going on, which is I'm just going to try this new identity. I'm going to try being this person that I've secretly thought is me, which yeah. is really almost esoteric. Like it really is me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try it on and see mm -hmm. how it fits. This is when you lose half the room because everybody's like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, you know, we talk a lot about social influence, which I know plays a very important role. I mean, I never hesitate to say that. And also there are certainly individuals that are transitioning now, seemingly suddenly, who for whatever complex reasons maybe had been struggling with this internal sense of 
feeling like somebody else. And I know that's ephemeral and it's hard to understand for those of us who have never exactly felt like that. Like we all can relate to moments of not feeling like ourselves or having an ideal self. Like that's, that's all on the same spectrum here, but I can't really imagine what it would feel like for, you know, decades to be harboring this secret of like a powerful, powerful force within me saying the, the, the real life that would be truly living would be if you lived as this other person. I mean, that's really intense and very powerful. And it's psychologically interesting. I think it's worth, you know, just acknowledging that's probably an intense thing to feel. Yeah, you said it so well there, because that feeling of I want to be somebody different, not me. And to, you know, I did definitely get a taste of it for those years when I was a kid and it did go on for years. And it's this, I'm not me. I'm I'm the wrong. This isn't me. I don't know what is me, but this isn't me. Do do you know what I mean? And funnily enough, I had a bit of a taste of it in a different direction. I lived in a very rural Ireland for a few years, for a good few years, really, seven or eight years. And I remember the whole time I was living there, I used to have this sensation of this is not my life. This is not the life I was meant to be having. This is not my life. And it's not the same, but it's different, you know, but there's something in it. And then I moved and I thought, yes, this is my life. This is the life I'm meant to be having. So it was a feeling of I was on the wrong railroads. Yeah. And it was going on. And I can see how somebody could become drastic in that if they move out and say, actually, I'm changing station. I'm I'm jumping ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see how they could suddenly become very kind of bang, bang. You either get it or you don't. You're with me or you're not. Get out of my way. I'm I'm full throttle here. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we do experience a kind of disorienting or identity crisis type of moment, we then become, um, there's like a vacuum and there's a need to seek something purposeful and meaningful and to seek a kind of reinvention. And, um, you know, I, I can't help but notice that in some of these cases where, well, well let's, just, let's just describe this because like what I have heard from many adult parents of adult children is that they get some sort of a, an email or a letter or something or a message from their child saying, by the way, um, I have discovered that I am this other gender and I'm going to be pursuing medical interventions and I'm not interested in discussing it. And that feels so patently different from parents of young kids who still live at home because then they're able to like have discussions or maybe set some guardrails around safety or health things. But when you have a 28-year-old child texting you this seemingly out of the blue, um, it's absolutely shocking. And it's the lack of communication and the refusal to answer questions that I think really scares a lot of parents. And to me, that feels very different from, you know, like you said, Stella, adult children are going to live their life in ways that suit them and don't necessarily follow the path their parents had out. But it would be one thing to say, you know, mom, I know I just graduated college, but I've decided that I'm going to kind of switch gears in my career and I'm going to go do so and so. And yeah, let's have coffee. We'll talk about it. Like, you know, I was really unhappy with my major or, you know, that's very different from 
By the way, I'm about to embark on this completely identity transforming process and you're not allowed to ask me anything about it. And might I point out that a lot of parents, you know, not in the context of gender, freak out about these elaborate, I'm jacking in my degree, sorry about (laughs) that. Yeah, yeah, I know I've done four years, but no, not going to do any of it. Or I'm not going to get married or I'm, I'm emigrating or I'm becoming a barman. And there you go. That really bothers parents very deeply. Now, the parents of the kid who's transitioning will say, yeah, yeah, whatever. This is a whole different. But, you know, it's only you, you only know what you know. And that is a real shake up. So I think you're right about the identity crisis. And I think that's a very good kind of analysis of what's going on. And I don't think it's given enough respect, if I'm honest. An mm-hmm. identity crisis is a, ver- is a very, very frightening experience. Because you don't know who you are and you don't know what you can trust. And you don't know what you can put your hand on and you you can't trust anything. You're scared out of your wits because who you are is not who you thought you were. Like, Mm. that is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And yet when we're terrified, we can act very intensely. And that's what, what can be at play there. And very hard to kind of penetrate somebody who's frightened if somebody's frightened they've so many walls up they, they can't hear anything that doesn't calm them down if you follow me so it's like I'm, yeah. I'm not going to go I'm not going to get into discussions here with you on any level yeah it feels like the young adult in that situation is really protecting their choices it's like they they've I mean let's say there's a case that has the flavor of you know, group involvement. And I'm using that word very carefully because we all are parts of different groups and some groups that we might encounter, whether it's um, a religious group or a political group or even uh, your best friends from high school who are very clicky. Um, You know, if a young person has had some sort of an identity loss and then has latched on to a certain kind of ideology or belief system around gender identity, they might be buying into some promise of what transition is going to offer them. And the fear that you were talking about might just be the fear that if I let mom and dad chat with me over coffee, they're going to try and talk me out of this. And I want this really badly. And they're going to bring back the old me with all the problems, all the uncertainty, all the terror. Um, No way. Not going to do it. I I will not meet you for a coffee. Here's the new rules. Learn them and get with the program or get away from me. And that that's kind of what the parents are often offered. It is very reminiscent of the young adult who goes to college and within three months identifies as trans. It's, it's the same kind of criteria. It's a period of transition. It's an identity crisis. It's latching on. It feels like that anyway. And it's, it's much more, if it, if it could be described as that, even much more non-negotiable than any other mm-hmm. like you know there's mm-hmm. almost degrees of non-negotiability and this yeah. is an extreme non-negotiable stance and so that's very difficult very difficult yes. to live with that yeah and to kind of keep building on the profiles here in my experience the young adult who goes off to college and suddenly announces trans is equally likely to be male or female and it often is female but then the 30-year-old is the male, in my experience. 
I have not met many families who say, my 27-year-old daughter has suddenly announced trans. It's almost always males. I have. I'm the same as you. I haven't. I've Female, male, female, male at college. Very definitely. No doubt yeah. about that. 100%. Yeah. Then this 27-year-old, this 30-year-old, parents of males. Definitely yes. is what I've seen. And that makes me turn to thinking of autogynophilia and what was maybe driving this beforehand. I don't know, but I think it wouldn't be right not to kind of suggest that perhaps, you know, this erotic fixation of becoming a woman that some some men develop and it seems to stick very hard when they develop it. And I, I do think it's very important that we keep some um, some sympathy because who wants to develop a paraphilia? Who wants to develop anything, you know, any fixation yeah. on anything? And they can get a very hard press from everybody. And I think we need to bring some understanding into it. Having said that, I, I don't want to rush it on, but I have read a few books about women whose, whose partners have, have um, transitioned and they feel quite reminiscent of these 27-year-old, 30-year-olds. So there's a few of them. One of them is Alexandra Hemmingsley, and she wrote a book called Somebody to Love. And she's a... Uh, she's actually quite well known in the UK and she's a great writer and she wrote about how, you know, she, she married, I don't know whether she was married to her partner, but anyway, they were having a baby and, you know, he was a very metrosexual, cool kind of urban guy. He was just dead cool, like, you know, <laughs> and um, very at ease with his femininity and very, um, very, not in a million miles would you have spotted this guy to suddenly transition and when she had the baby it just seemed heart-wrenching she, so it's a memoir I do recommend people reading it but you, you'll die for the woman like she had the baby and suddenly like in the first few weeks of the baby coming he was he was there he was kind of he wanted to be the woman he announced his trans you know his, his his trans identity he kind of had almost I, I would say kind of jealousy towards her breastfeeding jealousy towards her kind of physicality of being a woman and having a baby she was incredibly generous in the book and very kind-hearted I would argue because if uh, if that had been it's such an intense experience if somebody had tried to say oh I want a bit of your womanly experience when she'd carried the baby had the baby breastfeeding the baby and he was kind of at pains really to kind of have the baby bottle fed um, so that he could be part of it and things like that. So there was a lot going on there. They did ultimately split up, but she did it in a very loving way and effectively didn't ever really name anything dark that might have been going on. I'd imagine because, in fairness to the woman, I'd, I'd appreciate it and respect it, you know, for the, the child between the two of them, you know what I mean? So she was doing mm -hmm. that. So there's another book which would be very different to this, which is called Sex Changes. It's kind of a classic. It's about 15 years old. Christine Buena Bien, Christine Benvenuto. And she's from okay. America and she's furious. Her husband, mm. she had three kids with them. And then he kind of, you know, dramatically and drastically decided to transition. And she found it incredibly hard with the children. And she found, you know, the, the father um, playing dress up with the youngest child very often, dressing up as girls and stuff like this. And she found it really, really difficult. That was really hard. And then you've got the other side, another book that I read. I'm obviously very interested in this subject. Amanda Net Jet Knox. And she wrote a book that's very, very pro 
first of all, her child transitioned and then her husband. And this is called Love Lives Here, Amanda Jet Knox. And for her kind of experience, her child first transitioned. And so the family was a very pro-trans family. And next thing, a year later, the father transitions. And when you're reading the book, you're like, I know here, what's, what's going on here? But the mother is just so into the whole thing. And you get a real insight into, you know, the partner, which I've heard parents talk about saying, you know, his wife is so into it. His wife is now declaring herself a lesbian and nobody's done anything. They're all the same, except suddenly the wife is saying she's a lesbian and the, the son is saying that he's a, he's, a, he's a daughter or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just extraordinary how much the partners can get into it. And Amanda Jetnox is heavily into the whole kind of trans experience. So, yeah, that's the three very different experiences. But I do recommend all those books. They're really good reads and a really good insight into, mm-hmm. wow, do you really ever know what's going on in somebody else's life? even your partner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, I could imagine parents who may be going through this with their adult child would be, that would be an intense experience to read any of these books. Yeah, there's a, there's a very elongated thousands and thousands of posts thread on Mumsnet called Trans Widows. And um, they started, I don't know, when they first started. And when you get to a thousand uh, posts, uh, Mumsnet cuts it. So they start the next one. So they're now on five. Or, wow. Yeah. So that means it's over 5,000. All trans widows. And that's what they call themselves. And um, there's a trans widows website and stuff like that. That's what they call just, themselves. Yeah. And just they, to clarify, these are, these no. are women, women yeah. who were married to husbands or men who the males decided to transition and so the women call themselves trans widows just to clarify yeah. and th- yeah. that's that's their self-identification I think we have to respect that as much as we respect anything else and I would say I really urge anybody who wants to understand this experience read those threads they are mm-hmm. phenomenal and they're mm-hmm. they're so different so many people saying so many different stories and yet there's very common themes yeah. Very common themes, and they're shocking. They're shocking themes. So, they're really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 just to give insight into it. Kind of the adult onset. It's so different, really, isn't it? It's so yeah, impactful in in, in everybody's lives in a way. Yeah, and you know, I'm just thinking about the the real rift in relationships that can happen. Um, and, you know, I think about Amanda Jet Knox, who wrote that book, which to, to be in all honesty, I have not read, but I'm, I'm generally aware of her story and I've read her blog and things like that. And I, you know, on one hand, I feel very shocked about how it might feel to be, to watch your partner transform and you're essentially with a different person now. And on the other hand, when I think about the the destroyed relationships that sometimes happen in the wake of an adult transition, I think, well, as as confusing and complex and maybe even self-sabotage as it might seem, maybe this Amanda Knox woman did what she needed to do or felt she needed to do to maintain this family structure, which, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine the complicated dynamics and issues that arise in a situation like that. I think you're right. I think 
you know, mothers and fathers all over the world for thousands of years have made decisions to keep the family together. And they're, they're big decisions and they're not taken lightly. And sometimes it's abusive and sometimes it's not abusive. And we can't presume that it's always abusive. I know a lot of people like Debbie Hayton is a trans woman and she came on to my uh, film Trans Kids. And I know a lot of people, you know, thought that because of the uh, the camera work really in the film that, you know, the wife was very, very distressed and stuff. And you're like, you're kind of going, well, you know, you, you get glimpses into marriages. Who are we to, who, who's any of us to really judge somebody else's marriage if, if, if they seem happy? It's really funny territory because I'm very well aware that some very abused women say that they're fine and we have to reach out to mm. them. And I really do know that. And so, and yet then there's other women who are saying, I'm choosing to stay in a marriage here. And I think it's a yeah. good, healthy, functioning decision. Mm-hmm. And that's where people have to give a lot of space to that. Yeah. Well, let's kind of shift gears back towards the parental experience here. So, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about the young adult who may be in a very enthusiastic way and, and maybe also complicated way. Like I know that from what I understand about Debbie Hayton's experience, Debbie worked really hard and painstakingly to explore all of the complicated consequences of the decision. And so, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the experience of the adult who's transitioning. What do, what do you have to say about the parental experience for parents who have a young adult transitioning? We didn't really talk much about the college age kid. Do you want to yeah. describe it in your parent groups? How does that tend to show up? Can, can I just say I see similarities between the, 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 what they call themselves, the trans widows and the parents, the trans parents, insofar as some of them feel like they're being abused and treated very, very badly, and they're in an abusive situation, and they love the person who's abusing them. And this is a common thread that I see, and I don't think it gets said, because I think, you know, parental abuse is one of those taboos. Parents are very, very, very reluctant to say, I'm being abused here, I'm being abused, and this is really toxic. And so that's one thing I have noticed, that, you know, the the parents can feel like they're, they're kept hostage in their own house and that one person is kind of dictating everything and the parents are just kind of tiptoeing around kind of you know what do you want from us today and we will provide it and it's a very frightening frightening place for those parents to be in because they're not sure they're doing the right thing they're ready to stand up for them if they think it's the right thing they have this feeling that perhaps Mm. they shouldn't and then it seems to tip into what I would consider a, 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 a very bad power dynamic that has erupted between them. That's that's I suppose that's what jumps to mind when you ask me. Can you describe that in a little more detail? Because, I mean, abuse is a word that, of course, is. Yeah, it, it means something specific because you're describing things you are thinking of particularly. What would be an example, do you think? of a situation that's fair to call like parents being abused um yeah good good point i think this uh, this feeling of the the let's say the 19 year old the 19 year old is calling all the shots is eating whenever they want is screaming their head off 
when anybody doesn't do as they wish, if you follow me, is kind of controlling the entire emotion of the household. And some of their activity is really, really unhealthy. So they might be quite provocative in what they're kind of doing in the kitchen, watching stuff in the kitchen and kind of, do you follow me? It's a kind of a, it feels like they're owning the entire household and that they are really wielding their power very heavily. And very often I would say the mother is, is almost covering up a lot of the time on how heavily the, the, the child is demanding this and demanding that. Give me a lift to this place now because I need to go and you have to give it to me. Drop everything and give it to me. And give me mm. money now. Drop everything and give it to me. And mm. it's, 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 it's sad to hear it. Maybe abuse is a very strong word, but it feels like that when I meet them. It feels like this is so unhealthy. Very yeah. unhealthy power dynamics would be a, probably a better description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, these cases are, I would say more rare than the the average kind of parent that I consult with. But there there are family situations where the young person is um seems to be deliberately um knowing where the parents sensitive spots are and you know even using abusive language or being very demeaning to the parent in order to get what they want. And these are very, very sad situations. And you know, if I were to think about how we land in a place like that or how that emerges, I would guess that there has been for much longer some kind of dysfunction in the family dynamic. I mean, I don't think any kid just wakes up at 19 and just decides I'm going to go from being someone who knows, you know, the role of the family and respect for my parents and also like some autonomy as a person and I'm going to just start abusing my parents. I mean, there's something I think that that is being pointed at that perhaps indicates something wasn't going well to begin with. And, you know, I want to also lift up almost the the other side of this coin, which again, when we're talking about adults is really tricky and we can't know for sure. But I often wonder, you know, when you hear about adult people who are suddenly deciding to cut ties completely from their family, what are the influencing factors there? So on one hand, we pointed to the fact that perhaps this person has gone down a rabbit hole of ideological beliefs that really separate individuals from their parents, which is really tragic. And this is something we're going to cover actually in more depth in the future. And I also wonder if perhaps was there some kind of serious dysfunction in this family to begin with? And maybe this identity crisis moment or perhaps that transition period from college to adulthood creates an opportunity for this young adult to maybe get a fresh start or cut ties. Is the identity questioning almost... um, a subconscious vehicle for disconnecting from the family. And that's a really hard thing to think about. And it it may be an impact here. I think you're right. I think there's a huge, you know, there's, there's huge value in what you say. I think as well, however, is that lots of people who've come from, like, you know, there's, there's dysfunction in, in so many families and lots of people who come from really deep dysfunction and they don't get caught up in this. And those 
the, the parents whose kids are caught up in this, they're like, could you not have given me anything else? Mm-hmm. Like, really, really, this is so hard. There is something very, very hard to raise a boy and then feel that they are transitioned to a woman very, very quickly in a period of trauma and vulnerability and they're not negotiable and I can't reach them. That's a very heavy burden. And so, yeah, I do think there is often, there is often, yeah, definitely disconnection. And then I think, but God, what a price to pay. Mm. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, Do we have, do we have any um, advice for parents in this situation? Because, you know, as we were talking about this earlier, you know, you mentioned that there's a kind of letting go, you know, can you, can you say a little bit more about that? I think there is a lot of wisdom to be gained from groups such as parents of alcoholics and not that they're the same. It's a very different arc. It's a very different experience, but something like you sometimes have to let a child go and be who they are. You have to keep yourself sane, keep your Mm -hmm. house a harbour so that they can come back to it. Because if you follow them down the rabbit hole, you'll be as mad as they are. And there has to be, you know, that lovely phrase, let go with love. There has to be on some level, you know, I've seen parents make some very complicated decisions because they had younger children in the house. They had an older child who is maybe adult, who is transitioning and they've kind of encouraged the older child to maybe move out. And they've supported them. Like, this isn't any sort of lack of support. But they realised it's better because the other kids are um, really impacted in a very complicated way. And it's hard to live with. Watching somebody go through, you know, a, a transition is a really, really disorientating process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I I hear you talking about like knowing how to maintain your boundaries and your well-being. Um, I I think, you know, I'll speak to the families that um, I've, I've met whose young child had been kind of questioning or exploring a different identity from their teenage years. And then suddenly maybe they're off at college or maybe they're an adult and they've moved out. Um, there is a sense of breathing room. I mean, of course, parents are scared for other reasons once the child becomes an adult, but there's also a sense that they're no longer responsible for trying to encourage this young person to think in a more nuanced way or to examine all their issues. Like once the child is moved out and a young adult, it's really on on the young person to figure out where to go, figure out how to deal with their gender distress, figure out whether or not transition is the right choice for them. Um, So I think it's very important when parents find themselves. I mean, it's like an empty nest plus this extra complicated factor. But it's very important for parents to kind of regain a connection with their own life, their own relationships. I mean, of course, Gender questioning can take a toll on marriages and sometimes it can strengthen marriages. I mean, there are lots of ways that that unfolds too. But one, you know, piece of advice is is to make sure you are building a life that you actually care about as well, even though there's this aching, difficult 
situation going on with a child you love. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately we have one life. And on some level, you know, many children are going to transition against their parents' wishes. The parents are going to be horrified. And in a few years, everybody will have kind of learned to live with it. And the family will roll on, as the family always does through the generations. And so the more, yeah, you di- you maybe you as the parent didn't get what you wanted. Maybe you wanted a very different life for them. Maybe they've chosen a different life. And that is their want. That is that is their freedom. That is the entire bargain of having kids, is that you yeah. raise them and they do their own thing. And yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I do think I, I encourage parents, and I know they don't want to hear me say it, but I do encourage parents to look into maybe in five years, yeah, you'll have assimilated this. You don't mm-hmm. want it. You think it's very bad for their health. You think it's very difficult for them. You think they're losing their identity. And still, they've done it. And now, you know, you, you can still move on. It, it can yeah. still, you can find a place. Mm. I'm finding myself, in my mind, really um, kind of grappling with the fact that there are so many iterations of this, you know, I think you and I can both say that we have met uh, adults who have transitioned, who are functioning incredibly well and are productive, valuable members of society who have healthy relationships and are, you know, um, functioning really in a, in a high level way. And then there are other adults who start a transition and things really fall apart and so parents of either of those kind of versions of, of a young person are going to have really different reactions, I think, to what we're sharing here. Um, and it's one thing to assimilate your child's developing trans identity when your child is doing really well. And it's a different thing when you see that actually every step of the transition has made them more miserable. And that's really complicated. And the child can sometimes be more and more miserable and more and more sick because there can be complication after complication, physical difficulties, physical health burdens. And who's left to carry, you know, pick up the pieces but the parents who didn't want it in the first place. So they have very mixed feelings about helping because it's like, oh, this is, they're continuing into Mm -hmm. this that's making them Mm -hmm. sicker and sicker and sicker. That, that's very hard because it can feel like enabling rather than supporting. And yeah. often, if you see your child is, is failing, and some, some of these um, young adults, they're in their 20s and they are, they're really quite sick and they're really, they have a lot of difficulties. And all they've got left is their parents who weren't happy in the first place that they did it. That is a really difficult, difficult road to travel. Fury, yeah. the fury within the parents of this. It's not fair. Yeah. yeah, I mean, nobody wants to see their child's life kind of get destroyed by something um, that the child is kind of willingly participating in I mean, with enthusiasm. So it's an incredibly different thing to parent through. And I think your advice about checking out parents of Alcoholics Anonymous and things like that would be really valuable for the families whose child is yeah. doing worse as they transition. And there's another type of kind of adult child that is, I've often heard about is, they're off living a very kind of social justice life, if you follow me. They're, their kids are activists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the parents are parent activists quietly at home. 
And that's really difficult because they've lost connection with each other. They might meet each other once in a while, but it's very tenuous. It's yeah. very difficult. It's very distant. It's very combative. Mm-hmm. That's really hard because it feels like where where is our lovely kid and the lovely de- where is it all? There's nothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do have some kind of maybe advice to share for families in that situation. Um, you know, you and I are planning for probably next year to do a series about influence. And in the case of a young adult who's living this, as you called it, social justice lifestyle, um, that might be perfectly healthy in some regards, but sometimes that also involves a complete reinvention of yourself and a cutting off of relationships that you think are transphobic or you know, white supremacy inducing or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But um, one thing that I think is really important that comes out of the work of experts who talk about influence and groups and things like that is that it's helpful to have a light thread that ties the person back to your family. So rather than, for example, creating some sort of ultimatum, like if you transition, that will be... Um, intolerable for us, or we don't think we can continue. Or if you go down this particular road, whether it's transition or something else, if you set a really rigid ultimatum, or you make it seem like a deal breaker, it's very hard for the young person who may eventually find their way out of that particular perspective to come back because there's a lot of saving face, there's a lot of damage in the relationship. So As difficult as this is, I think if parents can do their own emotional work to get stabilized and grounded and find their own support system, if parents can create a a dynamic with their child that allows for the child to take some unusual twists and turns in the path of life and know that they still have a place, that's really important. And, you know, if, if parents are in this kind of cut-off, estranged situation, um, one of the things that I sometimes recommend that sounds a little bit silly is if there's anything that's not inflammatory that you can um, remind your young adult child about, that's really helpful. For example, pets. If your kid refuses to talk to you about the big life decisions they're making or their medical choices, You can always send a picture of the pet puppy and say, hey, me and Fido miss you. Hope you're well. Low pressure, um, not an attempt to have some deep discussion, but just a way to stay connected in a way that is reminiscent of positive things, but not necessarily like your five-year-old baby picture in a dress where this used to be you. I mean, that's really... um, it's, it's really abrasive for parents to try and pull a young person back to their old identity. But if you can give them subtle, gentle reminders of the love you had at home or the fun we had as a family or, you know, your favorite pet, um, these little kinds of ways of staying connected can be a little thread, again, tying the young adult back to their parents. I think that's gorgeous. And I think it's actually crucial because an awful lot of parents are in danger of being completely estranged. And your your words could bring it back because they could be more like, oh, it's Mother's Day, be a daughter for me today or some, some really kind of crazy stuff that really will not work out well. No, no, picture of Fido, isn't he cute? Look at the funny collar we got him. 
Like, you know, and even funny, funny gifts and memes that have nothing to do with gender or politics or social justice. No angle, just funny. Just cute and sweet and lovely. You know, the lighter side of life. Yeah. Beauty as well. You know, beauty in nature, just a beautiful photo of, of a tree or whatever, you know what I mean? Or a song or something like that. I think it's really important. I do think that I, I have a special place in my heart for the parents and the families and the children that have been estranged, that the adults are estranged from their parents and it's cold mm. and it's bro- broken as such. And I think everybody is the worst for it, usually. That I, I don't think estrangement really helps many people unless like you know in certain contexts and very abusive situations that's a different scenario but this when when the kind of trans politics have broken a family that is a really difficult cross to bear it reminds me of that you know that film um it reminds me of a miscarriage of justice there's a famous irish film the name of the father about these uh, men uh, who were from the north of Ireland and they were accused wrongly of, of bombing a pub in, in, in the UK and they were in prison for 16 years and they didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Dan Day-Lewis is in the film. It's a great film. Really good. Anyway, that utter bitter horror of I'm in the middle of a miscarriage of justice. That's how I feel about the families. They've been broken by politics, but they've been broken by trans politics and an estrangement has happened. And it doesn't feel like it was inevitable. It feels like politics got in the way or something mm. like that in this family. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. And I, it's very hard to come back from, as far as I can see. Yeah. Do you... Do you I know this is a, because of the kind of timeline that we're on. Um, I know there are a lot of estranged families at this particular juncture who may may reconnect in the future. But have you uh, met families who have had an estrangement that was temporary and who have reconnected with their kids in some way? Yeah, but temporary. I've had, okay. I, yeah, I've had parents who've come through temporary. I haven't yet come through the long-term. I haven't met many of the long-term come back. And yet, do you know the one that I, I, I think of, and I've probably said it before, but I'll say it again because it's so beautiful. Um, the K- Kale, who was in my film, Trans Kids, It's Time to Talk, she was a detransitioned woman. And she had estranged from her dad for years and uh, didn't know how to tell him that she, is, she had uh, become a woman again and just, uh, just literally travelled to countries to meet him, didn't tell him, and just you know, arrived at his door. And he looked at her and she looked at him and then they just hugged. Now, they hadn't spoke for years and they hugged. She said it went on and on and on. The hug just, they just hugged. Because they couldn't, if they started talking, they'd start killing each other. <laughs> they just <laughs> hugged and hugged and hugged and hugged. Mm. And so that is the one that st- sticks in my mind. And weirdly enough, for anybody who's interested, who, who did follow my film, so she's a beautiful woman, Kale, and she detransitioned. So that was 2018. And she was all part of every, all the politics then. I just got a picture from her about a week ago she got married and it's just this gorgeous picture of her fella carrying it's like oh my god so my point is you'd be amazed how people couldn't come around she'd had her mastectomy she'd been years on testosterone she'd had estrangement and there she was at at a family wedding her wedding remind remind me was kale would would you describe kale's case of transition as someone 
who was largely influenced by political ideology or had she always carried like this deep sense of gender dysphoria like help us understand how she got to transition yeah it, it was a lot of them seemed to be a little bit a bit of both at this stage so she was like me she had gender issues she was kind of like Kira Bell they developed very strongly really when she met the social justice world so okay. rather than coming out of it, it exacerbated it. And she was obsessed with transitioning. She went to so many doctors. She went to so many lengths to get that medical transition. She was refused everywhere. Because it's quite a few years ago, if you think about it. Because mm. I met her, she detransitioned by 2018. And it was all early social justice stuff. And yeah. I shouldn't just call it social justice. Very early politicised, you know, transgender mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. And uh, it left her, she found it exhausting and it left her and she just, she got involved in other things. She's got her own work, she's got her own job and she, whenever I say it, if I try, she's like, oh, that's way back. <laughs> she's left it behind. Yeah. Completely. So it is, when you get glimpses like that, when she sent me that photo, I just thought, oh my God, God, it comes around. We just, yeah. if any of us, if anybody who's listening is going through a terribly hard time, and I'm sure there are some, that it can come around we don't know what's going to happen in five years. We don't know where we'll be in 10 years. It's not necessarily, this could be the worst bit. Yeah. And I mean, I also just feel like it's worth saying the relationship is the most important thing you have. There's the the fear that parents feel when they see their child embarking on decisions that they feel are harmful or dangerous and if, if despite that, you still have a child who's trying to keep you in the loop and trying to stay connected with you, that's incredibly important. And it's probably the most difficult parenting experience you could ever not even imagine. But when families are able to stay connected, despite all of the different opinions they have about the child's medical decisions, that's really the best outcome. That is the absolute most important outcome that you can hope for, which goes beyond whether or not your child medicalizes. And I know that's really hard to hear, but I I really do believe that. I believe it with some reservation because I know how toxic families can get, but I, I, I do, I agree with you. I think your option, and it's such a horrible option, is either complicated, difficult challenges every day or the cleanliness of cutting and the devastating kind of in the middle of the night loneliness. You know, it, mm. they're, both, they're both awful kind of options, you know. Have you met have you met families or parents who you feel the parents are actually so disturbed and traumatized by what the child's going through that you think it's actually healthier for everybody involved to estrange talk talk a little bit about that if you've seen that I don't know if estranged is the word but I do think sometimes separation is appropriate when the adult child is going through a physical transformation that is so heart-wrenching and difficult for the parent so they might have raised their daughter 
and the daughter might now be taking testosterone, have a lot of aggression because of the testosterone. There's hair on their body. They, they kind of insist on wearing, going around the house without their top on because they've had a mastectomy and they want to show the world that they've got this flat chest and they've got their voice, their, their, their voices changed. Now the parents are, are living with that day in, day out. That is a lot to live with. And I think there's, a, there's room for, like, listen, the, the adult child is making the adult decisions and the adult child should be elsewhere making those adult decisions. Just like your parents shouldn't see you having sex and seeing you the next morning having breakfast with your fella. Like, right. And, you know, feeding each other toast. Like, it's not appropriate. You know what I mean? There's a, the yeah. adult, especially the young adult, they have to flee the coop. And they're not because of college, because of all sorts of financial things, they're ending up coming back and it feels profoundly inappropriate. For me, it feels mm. profoundly inappropriate. Do you see that, Sasha? Mm. That's such a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I what I'm thinking about is more from the kind of relational uh, perspective that if it's impossible for the parent and child to have a kind of genuine connection um, or speak with each, to, to each other without saying something incredibly hurtful or brash. I think that might be an indicator that the parent needs to set some more boundaries for themselves so that when they do connect with the child, maybe it's less frequently. Maybe it's like we meet up for coffee once a month rather than we're trying to have conversations once a week. Like I think the family has to really assess is the way we're interacting helping anybody? Is it hurting everybody? And if it's hurting everybody, we probably need to kind of disentangle ourselves a little bit and I think the point you made about the inappropriateness of it is so brilliant because what I was thinking about is that, you know, if if a person is um, becoming a young adult and starting to have sexual relationships or do anything that involves um, kind of a redefinition of self, it's the young adult's prerogative, I mean, for lack of a better term. And there is something important about you know, going off and exploring some things for your own sense of self, for your own sense of identity, and not dragging your parents along with you. Um, so I think there are cases where boundaries need to be assessed and maybe reestablished. Um, and, you know, I, I'm often reminded by other therapists who like to think about developmental um, tasks and things like that, that it's not uncommon for somebody in their early 20s to distance themselves quite significantly from parents and then reconnect later in life. And again, like I mentioned before, because of the timeline where we stand right now, I would suspect that if we're still doing this podcast in 10 years, <laughs> which we could be, um, which we could be, um, we might have a lot of stories of families reconnecting. You know, mm. I think that would be uh, more likely than than not. And, you know, I remember seeing on Twitter a young detransitioned woman talking about her relationship with her 
parents having kind of reconnected after detransitioning and even sometimes people like I remember one time Mars Fernandez who's a trans man made a post about how his mom called him papi which is in Spanish the way you refer to your son and so like they had had some kind of very difficult rift and she was kind of re-embracing Mars um, as her child in a new way so I think the idea of distancing from your parents and reconnecting at some point like you said once everyone's figured out how to integrate things that's important regardless of what happens with the young person's transition now I mean if a transition turns out to be somewhat destructive for the person you would really hope that that individual kind of has some wake-up moments and realizes wow this transition actually has not benefited me it's made things worse and I should reevaluate that. And that's very much an adult recognition to make as well. Yeah. And sometimes when it has been a very dysfunctional um, scenario between the two, between the parents and the child, sometimes the best thing to do is for separation to occur so the child can individuate, find themselves, find what they want and do what they want. And they're, they're, the, they're the adult child, I should say. You know what I mean? Parenting an adult child, I'm gathering, is a complicated, complicated, tricky, roleless kind of position. Yeah. That I, I think has a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility, but it has no power. You've no power. So you're in a tricky yeah. position. I do think you've got to look after yourself in, in the whole thing. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. This podcast is partially sponsored by RIME, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics. RIME is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. If you found value in our show, please review us on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash wider lens pod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services. 